Hello and welcome to Composer Chat, a podcast where we talk a little about music, a little about life, and a whole lot about whatever nonsense happens to come up otherwise. I'm your host, Jason Nitch, and each week I am joined by one of my favorite composers out there in the world. It's my show, so that's why it's my favorite composers who get the invites, and you're just going to have to live with that. Stick around, we're going to do a deep dive with some of the most creative people in the world. You're listening to Composer Chat. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Composer Chat. I'm your host, Jason Nitsch. Yes, I'm a composer. and Yes, I'm here every week. But each week, I'm joined by a guest composer of my own selection, and we'll spend the next hour talking about them with frequent interruption by me. This week, very excited to be joined uh, by my special guest this week. Please welcome to the podcast composer, Rosano Galante. Hello, everybody. <laughs> So excited to have you here, and um, uh, the further we get into this, I think the audience will will figure out why. But um, for people who may not be as familiar with your work as I am, could you give us like the really brief, you know, elevator pitch of uh, kind of what your what your work is looks like? Sure. Um, basically, I moved to California in 1999 to pursue a film composing and film orchestration career. I'm mainly a film orchestrator, but my biggest passion is I love writing concert band music. I have about 65, 70 published pieces out there and still going strong, and about 80 film credits as an orchestrator. I have scored a few films, but orchestration is where I'm more comfortable in composing for concert band. Yeah, and that's really fantastic. And I promise you, you have you have heard this this man's work in uh, in film somewhere before. You can't possibly have missed it. Um, he's been involved in so many uh, really incredible projects, and so hopefully we'll get to talk about some of those. But to start out with, can you kind of talk about what your origin story is with music? Like, how did you get into music growing up? What was your kind of first entry point into music? Like, how'd you get involved in it just to begin with? Sure. Well, I, I from an Italian family, and there was a lot of music in the house. My father played Italian music. My sister sang. My brother played clarinet, other brother trumpet. So I would go to the band concerts, and I was fascinated by how these humans were creating music on a stage. So I think it was either third, probably third grade or fourth grade, I was offered, the school offered, you know, music lessons. And my first choice was actually violin. My second choice was trumpet. They gave me the trumpet and I was happy. I was like, great, I'll take it. And I took to trumpet very quickly. I loved it. I loved music. Then there was a point where you're good enough to play in the little kitty band. <laughs> and that was incredible. Here I am, now I'm playing in a band, hearing all these beautiful sounds. And quite frankly, we were really, really good. And that's that was my the beginning of my journey as a musician. Then I was fascinated more with everyone else's part. I didn't care about my trumpet part. I cared about what the flutes were doing, the low brass, the French horns. I thought it was great how it all worked together. So I'd always go look at their parts, and then um, from then on, I, I started writing my own music, starting in eighth grade and and so on and so on. Um, I actually have a degree in trumpet performance. I tried studying uh, for one semester and it just didn't work out for me. Um, so I just am a self-taught composer. And after college, I got my degree in tr trumpet performance. I applied to USC for film scoring. They accept 19 people around the world. I was one of them and I was incredibly happy. One year program studied with Jerry Goldsmith and a lot of amazing film composers. And after that, 
you know, continued to pursue composing for band and orchestration. So that's kind of how it all began. That's so very cool. And um, how amazing was it to be able to be around somebody like Jerry Goldsmith at such an early part of your career? Well, first of all, when he came to our class, each one of us had to introduce ourselves. Well, it came to me and I gushed. I was like, I love you. You're incredible. How do you do it? And everybody was laughing. And I was embarrassed because I could not control myself. It was Jerry Goldsmith. I love him. And he was very kind. He just said, humbly, I said, thank you. I was like, do you know who you are? He's very humble. But he knows. He knows what he, he, knows what he has. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What an, yeah, what an incredible person just to be able to, to be around and, and get feedback from and, oh. and kind of a model to follow such such amazing scores over the years. Oh, I'm totally amazing. Love him. <laughs> well, do you um do you remember what maybe your first like original piece might have been? Do you remember back that far something that you might have written when you were just starting to write? I totally remember. And this is when I was about in eighth grade. I wrote this piece that I thought was brilliant. I was like, oh, I'm so great. Yeah. And I gathered about 15 of my musician friends to my house. We had a big basement. I set up the chairs. I told them, just bring a stand. I got the chairs. I have the refreshments. We'll have a rehearsal. Well, here I am. So I have my score, all the parts, everything was proofed. And I started conducting. And I kid you not, the worst piece of music that a human being could ever create or hear. <laughs> it was awful. And my friend, one of my friends, uh, I think he was a Barry Sachs player. He said, Rosano, Yes, you are a terrible composer, but your next piece is going to be a little bit better. And he was in, he was totally right. Sure. So yes, I I was awful, just the worst piece. <laughs> yeah, I, I can remember one of my first pieces. I accidentally, you know, I was working by hand at the time because I'm that old, and uh, I accidentally transposed the horn into G instead of F. <laughs> And uh, and I remember, yeah, they started to play and I went, wow, this is really not what I expected. And yeah, we, we tracked that down in a hurry. And um, so once you finished fixed the transposition, was the piece pretty nice? Uh, no, it was still trash, but it <laughs> it, it, um, it at least sounded like um, like music and, uh, you know, actual actual harmony. And um, there you, you know, go. It sort of sounded like something that you thought somebody that was, you know, 15 or 16 probably would, would put together, you know, right. three, three right. or four chords. Um, it definitely sounded better in F than in G, but. Um... <laughs> I'm guessing yours was way better than mine. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm glad that that, that one's lost to time. <laughs> so, well, um, do you remember, you know, um, and I guess I should ask this a different way. So were you writing, um, when you were doing your trumpet, you know, degree, were you still writing at the same time? Did you stop writing while you were doing your trumpet degree? Is that something you continued writing while you were in college? Yeah, when I was in college, you know, for my trumpet performance degree, I was composing just for fun on my own, writing a bunch of pieces that were pretty good, uh, some publishable, some just not strong enough to be published. But yeah, I was, I was, writing all, all through college, uh, you know, and, and I loved doing that. I loved improving myself, getting better. You know. Did you ever have one of those times? Was it the kind of thing where like you just knew you were going to write and it was just something you were going to do for a long time? Or did you have like a moment where you thought maybe you had written something, you were working on it, but you weren't really sure. And something had happened, you wrote something, you heard something, you wrote, and you kind of went, you know, I think I'm actually going to be able to 
kind of make a go at this. This is something I'm going to be really, um, be really good at. What was that like? Yeah, that would be my senior year in high school. I wrote a 16 bar, like a fanfare. Mm. And by, by the senior, I kind of knew what I was doing, the transpositions were the balancing. So I brought it in to my, my teacher, my band director. I said, Hey, Mr. Light, can we, can we just run this down? I'll play trumpet. You conduct. And he said, sure, no problem. Yeah. And I was really excited. I had all, all the parts were on like a strip of paper because it was only 16 bars. So I handed yeah. all the parts out. I get in the trumpet section. The teacher starts conducting. And it was that very moment. First of all, it sounded phenomenal. It was this big, gorgeous build. And then the fanfare right then and there when we finished in my mind, I'm like, well, what else can I do after this feeling of hearing your music and your thoughts and your emotions coming back to you? There's nothing that can pair. So even if I don't make a career out of it, I'm going to do it for the rest of my life because that feeling, I can't really put it into words. Well, you understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I yeah, it's been interesting talking to a lot of people. Everybody sort of has that sort of moment some kind of experience like that where they have something where they, they kind of something pops in and they go, wow, no, that was really awesome. I've got to do that again. Did you have that? Did that happen to you? Yeah, I, I did have that. And I think, you know, and I was a little bit similar. My, my undergraduate degree is not in composition. I don't have any composition degrees either, but it's the same thing. I was writing and I feel like I always knew I wanted to. And, but I, I think, um, I think that moment came for me right after I graduated because it was really the first time somebody played something of mine that wasn't a friend. I'd written something, they'd gotten a hold of it. It was a, a, a brass choir piece and there was a brass choir in Chicago that done kind of a call for scores and I'd sent it in and they called one day like, hey, we really like this piece. The same thing as fanfare, it was probably like 40 or 50 measures. It wasn't very long. And uh, like, really like this. We're going to do it on our October concert. And I went, wow, that's neat. And I flew up and I, and I went to the concert. And that was, that was probably the moment where I was like, people that I don't know will also play my music. That's, that's really neat. Um, that's great. Yeah, that, that was probably it. Because really until then it was, you know, I, I would talk my roommate into playing something on a music hour. Or I would write something for a friend's recital or, you know, my recital yeah. was coming up. So I would write, I, you know, I wrote a big piece. Um, yeah, that, that, that was really it. And, um, yeah, I don't think you ever kind of forget, forget that part of it. That's always kind of a neat thing. And, yeah. and I don't know about you, but I, I kind of always feel the same way. You get a big premiere or a big concert somewhere and you hear something, you go, yep, still, still feeling it, you know, still feeling it. Yeah. It never goes away. <laughs> no, there's, there's, there's something very special about that. That's very yeah. cool. Well, um, do you have like, uh, you know, so did you have like, as a, as not in your film work, but in your concert work, did you have like a first really big performance, um, like big conference performance or, or something like big professional performance or anything like that, that you look back on earlier in your career? Yeah, I think there were two. The first one, it was one of my early com first commissions. It was in Omaha, Nebraska, and they flew me out and it was a huge community group and they were very good. And I remember, it's weird, I remember I didn't have a lot of training as a conductor, but I just knew what to do as a conductor. I mean, I've had my own little private rehearsals. And I remember going on stage and with confidence and I conducted the group and people applauded. I think I got a standing ovation. Um, that was pretty, 
that was amazing. And I was like, man, I want to keep doing this. Another time when I was just, it was a Midwest conference years ago, I was not conducting, but a group did one of my pieces and that was incredible. Mid Having your music played at Midwest is pretty incredible. You get a big audience and it's big promotion. So those were pretty humongous for me. I was pretty happy about that. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's interesting. You, you brought that Midwest is amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's that that never gets old um, didn't they do your dance party at midwest dance party last year yeah that was mine yeah now i was not there but wow that is a piece oh thank you congratulations thank you. i mean i'm oh, sure I, people are loving it i appreciate that yes I, I get a lot of i get a lot of compliments on, on yeah on dance party that is a very uh, challenging trombone solo <laughs> part so i may yes. have uh i may have limited my market a little bit but um but yeah, that that piece turned out to be uh, very very cool. I think yeah, it kind of stole, stole the show a little bit. Yes, um, all <laughs> deference to John Mackey. But um, yeah, uh, Midwest is is really incredible. In fact, one of my good friends is playing a piece of yours in a couple of weeks. Jeremy Strickland at um, at Tyler Junior College doing uh, I think he's doing Transcendent uh, Light. Ah, the hard one. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's like the hardest piece. Great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I, I don't know if you're going, but your music's going. I'm um, not going, but I'm glad it's music's going there. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll I'll stand up when uh, when after your piece and wave. Thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so so I want to ask you about this because you because you brought it up because um, I I have I have a love hate relationship with conducting my own music. Um, is is that something you know, personally? I don't I don't like to do it. I will do it. Um, and I, but I, I tend to isolate, I tend to go into band director mode, um, and not think about, you know, the hours I put into, to the piece as much, but like, you know, uh, how much of that have you done? Is that something that you enjoy conducting your own music? So here it is. Yeah. I'm doing, I'm doing a lot of guest conducting, especially, especially this coming spring, which it's more than usual. I love rehearsing my music. I really do because I can get it exactly the way I want with the balances and the colors. But I get really nervous when the concert time happens. Really nervous. But mm -hmm. once I get on stage and I start conducting, then I start having a really good time. But there's all this terror. Like, what if I screw up my conducting? And what if we have a train wreck? I have all these worries. Yeah. And when I'm on there, I'm, I, I'm so focused that that doesn't happen. So I enjoy it. It's, it's not, it's not at the top of my list, but I, I do love rehearsing. Like I would rather go rehearse and then have someone else conduct the piece. <laughs> that would be yeah. fun for me. Yeah. And also one thing I noticed about when I'm not conducting and someone else is rehearsing and I'm there, I hear more as opposed to when I'm conducting, you miss a lot because you're so focused on everything. But when you're stepping it back, man, you can hear everything right away. I'm like, oh, too loud here. Yeah. I, I prefer to just sometimes listen and, and, and not conduct. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I feel the same way. I, I'd much rather listen, which I, some people have told me they think is strange. Like, I don't know. I really don't. I don't need to. But you've been conducting bands your whole life. I know. I love conducting. I do love conducting. I, I, yeah, I always have a weird thing about my own music and I always had a weird thing programming my own music. I always thought like, you know, I tried to do some of it sometimes if I had a group that I thought was appropriate, but you know, I didn't put it on every concert because there's just yeah. so much good stuff to do. Sure. I almost felt bad when I put my own music on a concert, like, ah, shouldn't I be doing somebody else's, you know, stuff? No, but, you are um, somebody. Yeah. You're you. <laughs> 
<laughs> Program well, your music. Well, I can't do it anymore. So I, I, I guess I should have done more of it when I had the chance. But um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, well, that's great. Well, um, let me ask you this: have, Do you have? Um, do you have a really good? Uh, none of them are really good. Do you have a really good rejection story, or maybe some project that you really wanted to do didn't work out, or anything like that? I have two. I'll try to make it quick. Man, this was a big one. <sighs> I was so heartbroken. I entered, okay, one of my friends said, oh, Rosanna, you have to enter this band competition. You're going to win. I'm like, oh, no, I've entered competitions. I, it's it's so hard. There's so much competition, you know. Yeah. She said, Rosanna, just said, submit it. <laughs> so I won't tell you what, what competition it was. I submitted this piece, which is not published, but I submitted before it was published. And I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, eh, I'm not going to win. This is just too much competition. So weeks later, I get a phone call from the, from the comp competition representative. And I, my heart started racing. And they're like, yeah, we got your score. We really like it. Can you just send us some parts? I'm like, sure, I'll send it to you in a couple hours. So I went crazy. I did all the parts. They just need to be tweaked. Send it to them. And I'm thinking, I might win. Why? They wouldn't call me yeah. if they weren't interested. And I waited for the results. I finally looked at the results. I didn't even place. <laughs> and I was heartbroken because they called me. Yeah. And now the piece is published. So I know it's it was a wonderful piece. Right. So, I mean, I, I was upset for, I guess, a full day, which that's a long time for me to be set. But I had to let it upset. I had to let it go. But I just, and they didn't even call to say, you know, I know, thank you for sending the parts. You know, it's not exactly what we're looking for. And these other pieces more right. what we liked nothing so i was pretty hurt that was my biggest rejection and, and i still think about it i was mm. i always wanted to win a competition now i don't even think about it anymore <laughs> yeah 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 i can remember early on i entered one of those and i got a very nice email at the end when i didn't win um and you know they're all very they're all very nice uh they try to be, but there was a little note at the bottom saying, but one of our committee members wants to program your piece on a concert. You <laughs> didn't win, but somebody wants to play it. Went, oh, okay. We love your piece, but you didn't win. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't love it enough. You didn't love it enough. <laughs> How funny. Yeah. Yeah. Eh, that's okay. Yeah. I'm happy for the winners. <laughs> Always. I, and I think those things have to be incredibly difficult to, uh, to choose the winners. Yes. I would think that that has to be just a really difficult process. So I don't envy yeah, the sure. um, I don't yeah. envy the committees that that do that. Although I wish yeah. they had selected me more often yeah. um, or ever. Um, very cool. So um, do you have? Uh, yeah, you obviously are very very busy and very prolific. But do you have any like big budget? Uh, big budget, big bucket list pro project that you'd like to do someday? Something like off on the horizon where you're like. Oh, if I had, you know, if I had my wish, I would go do one of these. Like in a, in the music world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of. Um, I think it would be fun to write an orchestral piece that was more cerebral and colorful is aside from melodic, just mm. colors and beauty. But I know those pieces are a tough list, tough listen for audiences. 
and sometimes a tough play for musicians. But there is there is a lot of beauty in textures and colors and in a concert band as well, both settings. But that's something that would take time and I don't have time to do that. And it would have to be borderline atonal, but still tonal, but I don't want to be atonal. Something like that. That might be something fun to do in the future. I don't know. What about you? Oh gosh. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I'd, I'd like JJ Abrams to call or, uh, or John Favreau or somebody, and I'm I'm available to score one of the next Star Wars TV shows if you like. That um, would be great. Yeah, that would be great. No, I, I I started my own sci-fi podcast just so I could write some sci-fi movie music, and um, that takes up uh, that takes up enough time yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> that's that's for sure. Yeah, I I think that's one of the reasons I didn't think I could be a film composer. It was the few that I scored. It consumed. 14 15 hours of my day for the whole month that i got that gig years ago yeah. and i i just i'm thinking i i i kind of want a life and i was so stressed out yeah some yeah. people just some people have that ability to deal with that and they love it uh, i'm not me yeah I, i've done a couple of short films i did a documentary a feature link documentary years ago and i remember the same thing just feeling like i never felt like i had enough time from when I got it to when they wanted it back with music. Right. And yeah. It, it, and it felt like you almost had to like write and forget it because you really didn't have time to write and reflect and edit. And, you know, the way you do with like a concert piece that you live with for a while, you kind of had to get it out and move on and, yep. you know, and then figure out if the director likes piano or not. And, yep. <laughs> you know, it's tough. <laughs> And then maybe maybe write something else. So uh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so so practically, um, I always ask if if there has been like a a purchase or an acquisition in your studio or in your writing space that once you got it, kind of completely changed changed your life or your process for the better. Do you have anything like that that you? you brought into your workspace? Well, before I found Sibelius, I did everything pencil paper. And I, even though I loved it, it was incredibly time consuming. Mm. And I kind of didn't want to get Sibelius. I wanted to keep, you know, doing it by hand. Sure. Well, I, I needed to move faster in the orchestration world. So I said, okay, I guess I'll buy Sibelius. And now I have to teach myself how to use it. Well, I got it. And I found it to be user-friendly and I learned very quickly and it has been the best, best purchase ever. I mean, I can whip out orchestrations very fast as compared to when you're just doing it by hand, like light years. So I think that was, you know, the biggest thing. Of course I have, when I moved to California, I got a studio with a keyboard, digital performer, speakers. That was also part of it. But Sibelius was the big thing. Mm. Do you use Sibelius or Finale? I'm a Sibelius person. Yeah. All right. I, I um I moved over the summer and I found my original Sibelius, no numbers, just Sibelius, like a CD-ROM in its case um, from however many years ago, 20, 25, 20, 24, yeah. 25 years ago, I found it. Um, I unpacked a box and things like that were in it. And my first thought was, wow, this is really cool that I still have this. And then I thought, why do I still have this? <laughs> 
how many times have I moved it in the last 24 or 25 years? And um, yeah, no, I've, I've been a Sibelius person for a long time. It just yeah. functions the way my brain um, wants it to. Yes. Um, and I've used it so long now I can't possibly use anything else because I can't, I can't learn and learn new software. Um, but Me there was either. a time and you and I are about the same age. You're maybe, you may be slightly older than me, but there was a time where I was a Sibelius person and I didn't know anyone else that used it. The mm. publishers didn't, didn't use it. They wanted finale files. And, um, and then I can remember there was kind of a switch where there would be like, you know, Oh, we have a few Sibelius composers. So we've bought it. And then like, they would call me be like, how do you do this in Sibelius? And I'd be like, you hit X. And they'd be like, how did you know that? I go, I don't know. I've just been using it. Like, I just know. Um, so, and now of course it's much more, it's much more accepted, much more standardized, yeah. you know, these days you don't have to be a, there's many good options now with notation that we didn't have, um, yes. you know, 20 years ago, which is great. Yeah. Um, well, I love it. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love it too. I don't love the, um, what do you call it the 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 license um part of it uh, annoys me because it it goes out every like two weeks or something but um you got to reset it and i go i fits with that but um but the software works uh, works yeah. very well yeah. um yeah that's really great oh my my uh my life changing purchase was a vertical mouse vertical mouse vertical mouse it's just it's just like a regular mouse but it's like it turns the whole thing up on the side so your hand kind of sits oh. up and I found I had a lot less discomfort and things after working for a while, just cause it, just cause the way my hands sat more naturally instead of flipped over. I don't know. Why do I not know about a vertical mouse? Is Somebody had to, well, I don't know. I've had mine about maybe a year, um, but someone oh, okay. told me about it cause I was complaining. I was like, um, oh, I do so much, you know, on the computer and things in my, my hand hurts and I was a drummer. So, you know, like I already have, you know, all the creaks and pops in the joints. So, um, and somebody told me, they go, you should try a vertical mouse because your hand sits on it differently. So um, hmm. Logitech has a great one. They are not a show sponsor, but they could be. Uh, they just have to reach out. I would love to bring them on board. But um, yeah, I highly recommend the vertical mouse. If you have, if you have pain from uh, extensive mouse, mouse usage, um, well, it's funny. I'm I'm so used to the the magic mouse. Oh sure. Yeah. There is a slight right here. There's a pain, and I'm constantly massaging right here. Yeah, I know so, that pain. I don't know. Eventually, maybe I'm gonna have to look into that. But it's so it would be so I have to relearn a new way. <laughs> yeah, for for about a week, it's really kind of strange, and now I don't even think about it. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's good to know. Yeah. Vert vertical mouse. Know. Um, listeners of the show are tired of hearing me talk about vertical mouses because I, I mentioned it about every other episode, but, um, good promotion. <laughs> yeah, good promotion, uh, to, to no benefit of my own. Um, well, um, do you, in writing, in doing your like concert writing, your concert band writing, do you ever experience writer's block? The answer to that question is all the time. Sure. I, if my middle name is Writer's Block, Rosano Writer's Block Galanti, and that's, I've come to accept that Writer's Block is part of my process. And yeah. I think it's good because it makes me work harder to find a better solution or a better melody. Um, a lot of the biggest, the hardest thing, of course, and I'm sure you know this, is starting the piece from nothing and coming up with two or three really strong melodic statements that's the challenge. 
because there's so many melodies out there. It's hard to be hard to not sound like something. And I try not to, that's the challenge. And then of course, transitions, that's where I, I'm stopped and I have to go for a walk and think, how am I going to go from here smoothly to there? And that's where I'm, I'm stuck. Yeah. Uh, once I push through and I do, I just sit there at the piano for hours. Like, okay, that doesn't work. Okay. This is too hard of a key. I can't do that. Hours and hours. And then finally I break through one day, one day it took me eight hours to do four little bars of music, but yeah. the result was great. Yeah. And you probably wrote that four bars 50 times before you were happy with it. Oh, so many times. I don't think people realize how much music gets gets tossed away because it just yeah. doesn't work quite the same way. That's right. Um, and now you just hit delete. Used to, I used to have a pile in the corner. I would toss it to. This is a terrible idea. I'm going to put it in my my box in the corner. Yeah. Um, now, do you have a lot of writer's block or do things just flow beautifully for you? You know, I, I used to feel like I had a lot. And I feel like as I've as I've gotten older, I've gotten better about writing regularly. And um, I, I used to not do that. I used to kind of wait until I had a really good, fully formulated idea. And I would kind of projectile vomit it out, you know, in a marathon over three or four days. Yeah. Um, and, and, and consequentially, that, that meant that I, um, I wasn't real good at working through things. I'd get to a certain point. If I really didn't know what was next, I just kind of, I just kind of abandoned it. Now I'm mm -hmm. better about writing uh, regularly. And I, I've come up with a trick, which is I, if I know I'm coming up and you know it's getting late or whatever, I've got to stop. I, I will I will stop myself in the middle of a phrase so that I don't have to figure out well what was coming after the next double bar. It's like I leave myself a little clue for the next day and I find it's uh, easier for me to to get back into it yes. um, and keep going. But I you know, I think everybody deals with it a little bit. Sure. Um, I find deadlines are very inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I give myself two months per commission. That's no more than two. I could probably do it in one month, but I like to give myself two. So I, my head doesn't explode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Give yourself a buffer. Yeah. Definitely. That's good. Yeah. Well, um, do you have any, do you have any really great advice for somebody who's a young composer, who's just starting, maybe somebody who's just graduated or somebody that's still in college? Well, yeah. Well, first of all, if you're in high school and you want to be say a concert band composer, don't do what I did and not study composition in college. I think studying counterpoint, well, I did study theory, counterpoint, form, harmonic movement, history, of course, all that is incredibly important in college. It's going to help you become a better composer. Of course, playing in the bands and winning ensembles really helped. Listening to a lot of different styles of music so you eventually get your own style of music. And then... For me, what I did is I just started sending music out to publishers. If you have if you have written a band piece and you have a good recording of it, definitely start submitting. You might get rejected. It doesn't mean you're not good. Write another piece, submit it. Because once you get published, it kind of opens the door to that world. Because like, oh, this piece works. We're going to let him publish a second piece. So that's kind of pretty much the advice I would give to a young composer. Another thing is, it's a career of patience. It takes time unless you're like a genius, like Mozart. If you're just someone like me who just works really hard and trying to learn, it takes years to get better and better. So there's some patience involved before you start making some money and the royalties and all that stuff. But for me, it was worth the wait. 
um, totally worth the wait because I loved it so much. Yeah. I did a lot of t waiting tables and all that stuff. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, that's really good advice. Yeah. Um, do you have any, um, do you have any non-music hobbies, things you do in your spare time, things that you, things you like to do that are non-musical? I love going to movies. Mm. For me, going to movies gets me out of my brain. It's an escape. Love going to horror movies, but I like action movies. Sometimes I'll, I can handle a, a dark drama. Um, hang out with friends. Uh, I used to love going to amusement parks, but now I'm too old and my head will explode from pain from the uh, <laughs> roller coasters. Um, so that's that's kind of uh, oh, home improvement. Even oh. though I'm not handy, I do love improving the house. That's okay. also kind of fun. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I I really like movies. I watch a lot of movies. I read a lot of books. Um, Good. Yeah, I do those kinds of things. Yeah, same kind of thing. I'm kind of a, I like to do things at home. I don't like to go out. I don't mm -hmm. like being out. I've never been a, you know, let's go out and do things. And yeah, yeah. my wife and I are sort of the same that way. We both, we both would rather sit down with a book than anything else. But um, as my- Nice to be home. As my, as my, my, children got older we more and more will go to the movies together which is fun um, yeah well um so let me ask you this have you ever like do you go do you go to the movies to see like the movies that you've worked on uh most of them i i try to uh the last one i saw i worked on which i did a lot of orchestrating was the nun part two mm -hmm. and i was like i gotta go see this because you know i did so much and it was neat to to hear the music all beautiful and then see my name in the credit. I was like, Oh my God, that's so exciting. And you know, there's a little ego there, but it's under control, but it's, it's nice. It's nice to go. And it's, it's rewarding because it's hard work. Yeah. And uh, I remember I went, to, I worked on the super Mario brothers, which was a huge hit. Yep. And I went to see it and I was like, Oh my gosh, first of all, I love this movie and I was part of it and there's my name and it was pretty, it was pretty great. Do you ever do you ever go along and see something and hear something and go ah gosh I should have put that in the English horn what was I thinking you know or or anything like that? <laughs> well, there was one time uh, was that a movie called Knowing uh, oh, with yeah. Nicolas Cage? Yep. There was a part the composer uh, Marco Bertrami, love him, great guy. He said Rosano, make it big, and I made it all big, but there was this one part where it was really big and I didn't add the trumpet on the top line. I just had them rest for four bars. And at the session, they put it in. I'm thinking, why didn't I put that in there? You should have done that. What is wrong with you? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay, How funny. All, it's all about learning. <laughs> sure. Well, um, so we've talked a lot about your concert music. Talk a little bit about how you got into uh, film orchestration and kind of what that is like, how that's different from, you know, being a, a, a film composer and, you know, for people who may not, may not know. Right. Well, it's definitely the difference. There's a huge difference between a film composer and a film orchestrator. And because I went to USC, I became very connected to my classmates and my classmates sort of took me on their successful voyage they tried me, Marco Beltrami tried me out as an orchestrator. He liked what I did and he kept using me throughout the years. So that's kind of how I broke into film orchestration. Now, as far as the differences, like I said, 
the film composer meets the, the actual film composer meets with the director of the movie and they have you know the spotting session where the music starts where it stops big long meeting the composer takes all the notes that meeting's done the composer goes to his studio he writes the whole hour hour and a half of music and then once he finishes the score he has to send the musical cues to the director to get approval and if the director says we're good to go then introducing the orchestrator <laughs> they send me the file now in the file everything is pretty much there the orchestrator can't change melodies cannot add counterpoint all i can do is beef it up hmm. so sometimes they will not write a woodwind section because it's all there in the strings so yeah. i'll add i'll add a woodwind section sometimes the voicing because the composers are moving so fast they're a little bit muddy they're a little bit Especially if it's a romantic thing, you don't want mud. If it's horror, yeah, you want mud. So yeah. I, I would adjust the voicings to where it's more lush. And then, of course, dynamics, adding harp, percussive things, things that would just embellish what the composer has done. And I always add a little bit more because it's easier for them to take away than to add at a recording session. Oh, sure. So that's the, so that's the big difference. The, the orchestrator does not compose at all. He is putting the icing on their musical cake. And uh, like, for instance, sometimes there'll be this sweeping section and I'll think, okay, let's put strings up one octave or let's have three octaves of strings and that'll work beautifully. Little As long as the music and melody have, or harmony has not changed, you can do little things like that. But if you overdo it, then you have to be careful because you can get in trouble. Yeah. I did that once a long time ago, learned my lesson. Mm. So. <laughs> That's pretty much, yeah, it's, like I said, much harder to be a film co composer because you're creating everything. You're yeah. formatting it to the screen, whereas the orchestrator gets the file and we just orchestrate everything into Sibelius. So how much time do you typically have to work on a project from the time that you get it to the time that they expect you to kind of have something to show them? Yeah, that's where the stress comes in. Sometimes they do give you enough time. Like for the nun, I had three weeks. It was like heaven. I mm. had to work maybe four hours a day, maybe six tops. It was easy. I loved it. But there's some projects that were like, oh, Hoshana, we have three days. Oh, wow. To do this. I'm like, what? Yeah. Hey, we can't do this. So they would hire more people. Mm -hmm. And see, that's the problem. When you have less time, they hire more people and you make less money. Cool. Um, but all in all, I would say usually it's about one to two weeks that they give you. And I think that's perfect amount two weeks is a perfect amount of time to because there's always a team it's not just one orchestrator it's like a team of maybe three or four orchestrators that maybe do 20 minutes each yeah do they do they normally do they bring you out for the recording sessions and things like that are you there when they do those things yeah i used to go to the recording sessions um and it was great loved it but too too nerve-wracking for me because oh. i'm always even though i proof things three times I'm just nervous being there. It's all very serious and because there's money, money at stake, you know, they're right. wasting time. If there's a problem, time is wasted. So I went for a while and then I just kind of stopped going. Sometimes I, I, I listen remotely. That's mm. much more comfortable for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They don't even know I'm there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I just, I listened in on a remote session a couple of days ago and Every time I hear something slightly off, I go, did they miss the note? Or was that my wrong note? And then they do it again. I go, nope, it was them. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that's really fantastic. Well, yeah. um, can you, can you, can you, if you can, can you talk about um, anything that you're working on now or anything you got coming up here in the, here in the near future? Yeah, I just, right now I'm proofing a big suite for band with a grade five, uh, 10 minutes long, three movements, and it's probably the best thing I've ever written. It's going to be premiered uh, by the Tanawanda Legion Band sometime in 2024. That I'm really happy about. I just finished a ballad and now I'm orchestrating my recent commission called Cathedral Mountain. Very happy with it. And that's pretty much no movies right now, but all commissions and and that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Are you working on anything? Um, I am finishing up um, one season of my sci-fi podcast and I've started uh, writing the next because I I write the story and the dialogue. Oh, wow. And yeah, and then, you know, I'll send that off to the voice actors and actresses in the first of the year. I'll usually get that back and then I'll start scoring the next season, usually in March. And then we'll release the new season in at Memorial Day. So I kind of go in a circle like this (laughs) with that. Sounds like a lot Um, of work. Yeah, which is great. And then, you know, all all the other all the other things. Um, There's always something uh, going on. You know, uh, yeah. we all we all stay pretty busy, but um, well, that's great. Well, I always end these conversations with ten uh, really frivolous, um, mostly non-serious, definitely inconsequential questions, and okay. um, and it's been pointed out to me more than once that sometimes I don't actually ask ten questions, um, but as I've as I, I say repeatedly, that's what I have on my on my agenda. That this is the ten question segment. So I'm going to keep calling it that, no matter how many questions it ends up being. We're just going to live with that. So, um, I, so I, I say to everybody, you can uh, you can answer however you like, and um, and don't don't feel the need to to be overly cerebral because this is not the part of the podcast for that. <laughs> non cerebral, good. I like that. <laughs> All right. So, um, do you have uh, do you have a favorite food? Uh, yeah, I'm Italian. I love Italian food. All Italian food. I love that. I could I could do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you have um, Do you have a favorite place you like to travel to or vacation to? Favorite place you like to visit? I've been to Hawaii uh, and I loved it. Would love to go back one day. It was really fun. Hawaii sounds like fun. Um, do you have a favorite color? Red. Red. Blood of Angry Men. I love that. <laughs> um, uh, do you remember, if you can remember, uh, do you remember the last thing that you Googled? Who is Jason Nitch, probably? Uh, actually, that's true. <laughs> I, I, I did recently. It's very, well, I don't think it's the last thing, but it's one of the recent things because I wanted to know a little bit more about you. So I would uh, say you. I'm sorry that I'm not more interesting. Um, you are very interesting. Um, I, I hope you didn't scroll too far down the Google searches. Um, that's wonderful. Okay, this is an important question, and I always, uh, I always feel like I get the most interesting answers about this question. When you sleep, do you sleep with your socks on or off? This is—I told you it was this. This was the important question in the frivolous questions. A lot of people are going to judge me. I, I love sleeping with my socks. I need my feet to be warm. I respect that. Yeah. I respect that. You it's a long answer. But I, it, no, 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 Mm-mm. no, no, mm, okay. <laughs> no, no. But my, my answer though is, is, is more interesting than most. I feel like the tiny little hairs on my feet get, get tangled 
if I sleep with my socks on. I don't know if it's true. I just know that I feel that way when I get up in the morning. I feel like they're all a jumble and like they need the night out of their socks just to like reset and like lay back down. I don't know. It's probably nonsense, but, but that's what that's this part is. That's what this part is. I mean, well, that, you should continue sleeping without your socks. <laughs> yeah. 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 I feel like that whole, that whole answer could be a country song. Yes. You know, get, get Keith Urban on the phone. Um, so, okay. Let's see if, um, if you could do any other job other than what you're doing now, what do you think it might be? Something non-musical? A veterinarian. I wanted to be a veterinarian, but too hard to become oh, one. Oh, wow. Yeah? yeah? I love animals. Oh, I love animals too. You know what? I don't think I could be a vet though, because I don't think I could put them down. Yeah, that's another I, reason. I don't think I could do that. I think I could handle everything else. The shots and all of that. I think I could do that. I don't think I could put, I could not. I, I would be the one, the the pet owners would have to be consoling me. Yeah. Um, yeah. When, when that tough. had to happen. Oh, a veterinarian though. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite time of day that you like to work? Yeah. I love, I usually get the most done between 10 and two. Then I take a break and sometimes I work six to eight or nine, depending on if I got to let done. Um, but I take a nice chunky, I take a nice break in the afternoon. So yeah, 10 to two and like six to nine. Awesome. Those are fun for me. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know if that was 10 questions, but we're going to call it 10 questions. Um, cause right. that's, cause that's what the segment's called. Um, tell people how they can find you out in the world. If you're on the socials or anything like that, tell people how they can, can find you. Yeah. The best way I don't have a website. The best way to find me is on Facebook and, you know, I post a lot of my new pieces and a lot of stuff is on YouTube and it tells you what to do if you want to buy one of my pieces. Yeah. You yeah. don't get on the Instagram, take, take, like like pictures of your breakfast and stuff like that or anything like nope no nope, i don't do that just facebook <laughs> yeah yeah i i i'm trying to instagram but my friends are telling me i'm doing it all wrong and i'm like i what do people care what pair of socks i'm wearing today like what what are these people doing on the internet like what difference does it make if i put mustard on my hot dog and not ketchup or i don't know maybe some people or... find that fascinating i don't know <laughs> I don't know. I, I do like to scroll through and I see the, like to see the music things. Those are, those are neat, but I don't, yeah. I can't get into the other, the other stuff. So yeah, me either. <laughs> All right. Well, Hey, I appreciate so much you joining the show. Uh, I really enjoyed our talk. I am such a big fan of your work. And so um, it was really, uh, it was really wonderful that you agreed to come on. And so um, I guess I will, I will Jerry Goldsmith fangirl to you um, as, as we, as we sign off. And, um, and so hopefully we will run into each other one of these days at that Midwest or, or something like that. And uh, until then I'll continue to just be a fan. And uh, I hope that everybody will check out Rosano's really amazing uh, band music and uh, enjoy all of his film work and uh, best to you this holiday season. Although I think your podcast is releasing in January. So maybe I'll say happy new year. Yes. Well, Thank you for having me. I am so flattered. And this was so much fun. It was just like hanging out and having a nice conversation. And uh, you're so talented. You write great music. And I'm telling you, that dance party, I, wow, that's really impressive. So keep it uh, up. I, I appreciate that so much. I did not pay him to say that, um, but I, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Yeah, dance, dance party is a lot of fun. So I yeah, encourage you to check out is. Dance Party, listeners of the world.
And so, uh, all right, everybody, thanks for joining us. Thanks to my guest, and we'll see you next time. Composer Chats brought to you by SCM Media. Is your audience dead? Bring it back to life. And thanks to my guest this week, and thank you for listening. Don't forget to watch for next week's episode with the next composer on my list. And you can find my other podcast, Beyond the Belt, Adventures from the Outer Rim, a sci-fi drama, anywhere that podcasts are streamed. Listen free. Seasons one through three are out now. You can find me on Instagram at jasonnitch.composer. You can find me on threads at jasonnitch.composer. You can find me on the Facebooks if you're old like me, Jason K. Niche. You can find me on the web at jasonnitch.com or at beyondthebeltpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.